Hi, I'm Pastor Lori Boucher, and I want to personally welcome you to the HeartStrong Discipleship Podcast. Are you ready to study the Bible together chapter by chapter? If you go to heartstrong.life and sign up for a free membership, you will get access to the full Bible reading plan and all the bonus discipleship content that we have prepared for you. Open up your Bible and get ready to take some notes because God is going to speak to you today. Let's become heartstrong disciples together through the study of God's Word. Let's get started with our memory verse. So this is Philippians 2, 1 to 4. And so you can say it out loud. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. So today we're going to be um, digging into chapters 21 and 22 in Genesis. And so sort of starting out with the high level summary. Um, so really, it's, we often like to talk about how do these stories point to Jesus. And the stories that are covered in these two chapters really um, really are pointing to the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. And that promise was supernatural. And so what that means is then anything outside of the supernatural realm cannot hinder what God had already promised. So anything man did in the natural will have no impact in the supernatural. That was really the fulfillment of that promise was supernatural. And so we can trust God to do what he said he would do. You know, human effort um, in assisting God to fulfill a promise would actually be laughable if it didn't end up complicating things and creating long-term consequences, which we see in these stories. Genesis 22 actually records one of the greatest acts of obedience in recorded history. You know, Abraham learned the importance of obedience through the various lessons over the years, um, as we read in the preceding chapters. And this actually is what I believe prepared him for this greatest act of obedience. And as soon as God gave him the instruction to sacrifice his covenant son, Isaac, he promptly set out. And this really points to how Jesus learned obedience, because Hebrew 5, 8 says, although he was a son, and this is Jesus, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And in the same way, God refines us through difficult circumstances. You know, sometimes God makes our escape attempts to fail. Um, knowing that we experience his help in a powerful way through difficulties and maybe even through conflicts. So looking at how to put this in context, at least some of the story, you know, Hagar's biggest life challenge was brought on by other people's choices, Sarah and Abraham. So the very ones who conceived, who received the covenantal promise that extends to you and I also created the seeds 
for a rivalry that will continue to touch the lives of many for generations. And so if we try to find solutions in our strength and knowledge alone, we create new problems. We need to go to God and we need to remind ourselves that when we submit to him, his solution and his timing is always best. Um, so how do we apply it to our life? Well, we don't have the capacity to understand all the options at his disposal. So we just need to understand that there are no impossibilities with him. Um, obedience is difficult when it involves giving up something we really want. So anywhere we struggle to obey is actually a very reliable sign that we have not died to self in that area and that we have prioritized something or someone over God. So my prayer for us this morning is to see a fulfillment um, of these scriptures. Uh, Psalm 9:10 says, those who know your name, trusting you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. And John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And so I pray that spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit will empower us to trust and obey. And of course, we know that we're, we're, we're benefactors of the Holy Spirit on this side of the story where Abraham and, uh, and Sarah were prior to that. So trust God today, what kind of trust step can we take? Um, like Abraham, let's sacrifice our Isaac. Let's sacrifice our promise to God. I believe that this is the pathway to circumcising our heart, which we're going to talk about. And when we give up what we ultimately feel we're entitled to, we submit our will to God. And that sets us then on a path of obedience. So we're just going to go deeper into this. Uh, the resources that I use were the Bible Hub commentaries, specifically Ellie Cox, um, the Tyndale Life Application Study Bible, uh, NLT version, uh, godquestions.org, and of course, the Holy Spirit. So we'll start reading in chapter 21. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. So Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight years old, as God had commanded him. So Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And most translations say with me. And he said, who will, who will have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And so here we see the fulfillment of God's covenantal promise when Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was either 90 or 91 because she conceived when she was 90. So Isaac was born. 
and his name means he will laugh. Um, of course, they both laughed at the, the fact that this could even happen. And, and so laughter had come into their house. Now, what is the significance of, of the circumcision? I think we should touch on that a little bit. So earlier in Genesis 17, God describes his covenant to Abraham. So God said he would make his covenant between him and Abraham and Abraham's offspring through their generations for an everlasting covenant. He also said, Abraham will be the father of many nations, exceedingly fruitful, and that kings will come from him. And then he said, the whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Now, here's what God said Abraham should do. He said, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Keep my covenant along with your descendants after you for the generations to come. So when you see that right away, you see that God is giving him a responsibility that goes beyond his children and his grandchildren. He now has to figure out a mechanism to keep this covenant to keep this going from generation to generation. He has to sow a seed that will perpetuate itself. Um, and then he said, every male in your household shall be circumcised as the sign of the covenant between me and you. So if you remember the Noahic uh, covenant, the sign was the rainbow. Well, the sign for this covenant that man was supposed to do to be active in this was the circumcision. Um, and then he said, for the generations to come, every male among you who's eight years, eight days old must be circumcised. So circumcision was a part of the covenant and male circumcision is actually a relatively common uh, procedure globally. Um, but regionally and societally, it, there's, there's a difference in the need for this. And if so, what's the age for it? But generally, the scientific literature shows that shows the benefits of male circumcision. And then it indicates that infancy is the optimal time for this. And there's lots of reasons uh, for this. So all males in Abraham's household were circumcised at the same time. Now, this is kind of scary to me personally, but... Abraham was 99 years old when he got circumcised. He obeyed the Lord in this. And Ishmael was 13 years old when this happened. Now, Isaac actually had it easy when you think about it, because he was circumcised at eight days old. And so God gave the instruction. So all the male had to be circumcised. And then moving forward, it was at eight days old. Now, today, the Lord is asking us to circumcise our hearts. In 1 Corinthians 7, 19, we see, for neither circumcision counts for any, well, for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. So Romans 2, 28 to 29 tells us that circumcision should not be merely outward or physical. It's actually a matter of the heart. And, and, and the whole idea is to recognize that our praise is not from man who only sees externally, but our praise is from God who sees it all. So we'll keep reading in verse eight. Um, and the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast, feast on the day that 
Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. And some translations say mocking. So she said to Abraham, cast out the slave woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named, and I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. So a couple of things to highlight here. So the time of waning is commonly believed to have been at the end of the second year or the third year. So Abraham makes this huge feast on that day. Um, probably Isaac was three years old, which would then mean Ishmael was 17. So what exactly did Ishmael, you know, what he was doing is not said. It's, it's not clear exactly what he did or said to Isaac. Um, you know, and as we heard in, in previous sessions, um, we don't want to speak where the Bible is silent. So what we're going to do, actually, is to look at what exactly was said, as well as use our understanding of human dynamic based on our life experiences to consider aspects that would basically be inevitable in this situation. So, so some natural elements that were at play here. First, sibling rivalry still exists today. And we know that this can be amplified with half-siblings. Um, there's no record that Ishmael did some abominable wickedness to, to Isaac, um, because I think if he had been guilty of that conduct, then sending him away would not have been so very grievous in Abraham's sight. And also notice that God told Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. God also said to Abraham, whatever Sarah tells you to do, do it. So there was likely fault and reasons on both sides. You know, on the one hand, on the other hand, it was unlikely that Sarah was without good reason for her conduct. Um, we read in, in Galatians 4.21, um, and this is in reference to Ishmael and Isaac, uh, Paul bears witness that Ishmael persecuted Isaac. And this is what the scripture says, but just as at the time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So also it is now. But we, for that specific event, we don't have the full details of what happened there. But consider that Ishmael had been an heir for 14 years. So after 14 years, Ishmael had to fall back into what would publicly appear to be an inferior position. And, you know, I think you and I will also feel slighted by something like that, you know, from in, within your family. And no surprise if at this banquet then, you know, um, he gave way to spiteful feelings by words and gestures that ridiculed Isaac. Now, Hagar, too, had probably never regarded Sarah with much affection. And we know that since, even since her forced return. And now that her son was disinherited, 
her bitterness would even grow more intense. So these jealousies are the inevitable results of polygamy. So essentially what we read here are actually the consequences of actions that go back to Abraham and Sarah. So let's go back to verse 15. Uh, Hagar is in the wilderness. So when the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up. God was with the boy. He lived in the wilderness. He became an expert with the bow, and he lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. And fascinating story. Um, I think one of the highlights here is that we see in this chapter that Ishmael was blessed too. Isaac was had that covenant but Ishmael was also blessed. And so, and this was actually even previously stated in Genesis 17, 20, where it says, as for Ishmael, I have heard you, behold, I have blessed him. And this was God talking to Abraham. He said, behold, I have blessed him, which is uh, Ishmael, and I will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. And of course, we know that Ishmael became the founder of the Arab nations. Um, so the wilderness story is very touching. You know, when you think about for days, Hagar and Ishmael wandering in the wilderness, nothing to guide their steps until the water was finally go gone. And so of course the child gets dehydrated first and the mother thinks, well, we're both going to die. She cannot bear to see him die. Um, but then as she cries out, God hears the silent prayer of Ishmael. Um, because we're told he, it seemed from the account of the story, it seemed he was passive and he really wasn't saying anything. So this was a silent cry. And so the angel of God comes to her relief. Now, Hagar had previously had this amazing encounter with the one who sees her. We had read about that when she ran away and she had this incredible encounter with the Lord. So she knew about God's promise to Ishmael because God made the promise to her. So she could have influenced her son to choose forgiveness and herself also choose the same path. So it really seems to me that Abraham and Hagar who had the direct information regarding the blessing upon Ishmael could have separately helped him navigate where he found himself due to the decisions of the parental figures in his life. You know, when it comes to obeying God, it's not about whether we were done wrong first, rather it's about whether we choose to keep doing right in spite of the wrong done to us. Trusting that nothing is hidden from God. He's a righteous God and he always makes things right at his own time. 
Genesis 16.12 refers to the fact that Ishmael's hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. So separately from all of Abraham's promised seed. And, um, and of course, we can see that that's a direct re uh, reflection on all of the factors around him that literally, so that's why it's a prophetic uh, uh, statement. It was not a curse, certainly not a curse against him. Um, so we will um, move on to chapter 22 because I want us to spend the, the rest of our time uh, there and just unpack that powerful story. Um, so verse one, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I, I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering. He arose, he went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham, so this is after three days of journeying. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. And I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back again to you. So we see here that Abraham is referring to sacrifice as worship. Verse six, and Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they both, and, and they went, both of them together. So they continued this journey uh, to the top of the mountain. And Isaac said to his to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? That must have been awkward. And so Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. And you know, Abraham trusted God. That's why he said that statement. Um, he was just simply going to do what God told him to do. And just like Abraham trusted God, we see that he had already transitioned something to Isaac in that generation because Isaac trusted Abraham. Isaac was not a little kid, but I won't get into, into that, but he trusted Abraham and they both went on this journey. So verse nine, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order, laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the ticket by, by his horns. And Abraham went and took the lamb and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide as it is, it is said today on the Mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Now, 
to understand this, we have to even go to Leviticus, you know, 20, where God condemned human sacrifice as a terrible sin. So this was actually a test for Abraham. He just didn't know it. And during this difficult three-day journey, the Lord wanted Abraham to sacrifice Isaac in his heart so that it will be clear that he loved God more than his long-awaited covenantal son. And so on the third day of the journey, we see that he looks up the mountain, he sees the place, and he decides the rest of the journey now has to be just with me and my son. Uh, this is a personal worship. And I believe that Abraham started this three-day journey off as a dead man. He had to have died to his will, to his understanding. There was no other way he could go on this journey to sacrifice the son that God told him. All of his inheritance was going to come from. And so remember, Abraham said God will provide the lamb. And God did in the natural. The ram was caught in the ticket. But he also provided a sacrificial lamb in the spiritual. And that's the parallel to this story. So just like the ram was offered, um, offered as a sacrifice in place of Isaac, Jesus was offered on the cross as a substitute for us. And so in essence, God did what he had asked Isaac to do. And he saw it through. He did not spare his son. That was the reason he sent him. And so really that act of Jesus dying on the cross now aligned all of us under this new covenant of eternal salvation. And then there's the fact that um, Abraham, or at least the perception, certainly in, in, in um, studying this, reflecting on Abraham's three-day journey and how that parallels Jesus' death for three days. So Matthew 16, 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, he would be raised. So there were several reasons it was significant that Jesus was dead for three days. And that includes the fact that according to Jewish tradition, a person's soul or spirit remained with his or her body dead body for three days. This was just a tradition. And so if Jesus resurrected, if he had resurrected um, maybe the same day or the next day, it would have actually been easier for his enemies to argue that he never truly died. The second reason is, of course, it was a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. I read one of the scriptures, but there are many um, uh, prophecies in the scriptures that say he would be dead for three days. And, and a third reason is that Jesus died on a Friday. And so his resurrection on the third day took place on the first day of the week and really illustrated a new beginning and new life to all who would trust him. So let's read from um, verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth 
be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived at Beersheba. So um, Hebrews eleven nineteen really shows us how complete Abraham's faith and trust in God was. And this is what it's, it says. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back to life. And this is what it says in Hebrews. So, so Abraham went there fully intent on doing what God had asked him to do. So as he went up with Isaac, Isaac was as good as dead. Um, so just imagine Abraham's journey back, his three-day journey, you know, um, or just imagine his journey there. The very last minute God stops him from sacrificing. So do you think this is the same man that would return back home? I think he would be transformed. I mean, he would be like one who received his son back from the dead, but with a stronger commitment to obey God and an unparalleled belief in God's faithful provision at just the right time. And so my two-part question to each of us is this, what is your Isaac, your promise, and have you sacrificed it to God? What is that thing that you know the Lord has promised you in his word? Yes, it seems like he's now asking you to go place that at the altar as a sacrifice. Of course, I'm not talking about something that could endanger your life or the lives of others. I'm just talking about life circumstances. What would you do if the Lord asked you to sacrifice your rights or your wants in that circumstance at his altar? and leaving it to him to chart the course of your life. And so I think this unhindered obedience may well be one aspect of what it takes to follow him, a very key aspect. You know, the covenantal circumcision of our heart positions us to obey at all costs because we prize him above all. And it is when we get to this place that we're actually able to take up our cross and follow him. And so I close with Matthew 16, verse 24 to 25. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, we'll find it. And so that's where we're going to stop this morning. Let's pray. Lord, wherever we gather, as long as you're there, you're the center of attention. And when we gather around you and around your word, Jesus Christ, your Holy Spirit just brings it to life in such a miraculous way. And we know that your word is guaranteed to accomplish what you sent it for, but we are the limiting factor. And so may the seeds that were just planted in us yield abundant fruit in our lives and the lives of those around us by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Thank you for joining us for today's Bible study. Don't forget to visit heartstrong.life to access our daily blog for even more encouragement. Visit the Heartstrong shop with all kinds of awesome merch like hoodies, t-shirts, and mugs to remind you of this awesome journey of discipleship that you are on. Log in to heartstrong.life to access all your member content, resources, and downloads. We have live Bible studies for adults, students, and a Bible boot camp for kids. Let's become heartstrong disciples together.